Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly sermon podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. I uh, feel like it's appropriate that I'm here today. I've been connected with you all. You don't know this, but I've been connected with this church for nearly 30 years. Your, um, your leadership team at that point called me in and said, we want to do some more impact in, in the town of New City, and uh, can you help us? And so it was, uh, they had a bunch of ideas that were part of what they were used to. And I said, how about if we do this differently? So I made a couple of them go interview the police department. I think for a couple of them, it was going back to the roots. Um, and for others, thank you. Um, it was subtle. But I've been connected for a long time. And uh, of course, uh, Pastor Mike, you, many of you have known Pastor Mike as that. And since he went through the program, I said, he's now the Reverend Dr. Plunkett. And uh, he, he likes to be called that, by the way. So just <laughs> note that as you go through. Hey, today, I want to talk to you about prayers that make a difference. It's the season that is so necessary. What we're coming out of, what you all have experienced recently, and who knows what come next. We always say God knows, but somehow that doesn't always make us feel the most secure. So rather than it being here is uh, how to pray, no, this is uh, more of, I want to give you a pattern of literally prayers that make a difference. If you look at Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, right right in the middle there of the Newer Testament, in those three letters, those of you who've been around church longer called them epistles, there's three simple letters to groups of people. Every one of them in the first chapter has a section where the writer Paul says, this is how I pray for you. So I've been... I'm often called a leader of leaders, a pastor of pastors. I think I'm called lots of things. That's the ones I can let you know they call me. <laughs> and um, so as that, these are the prayers that I think those of us who know and love you as a church are and will pray for you. But very often when we read the Bible, we, uh, we read for content and meaning. And we skip over things like emotional tone. And you're going, emotional tone in the Bible? How do you pick it up? Ah, uh, you can. Let's, uh, let's just walk you through before we get to verse 9, which is the exact prayers. Here's the backdrop to it. Uh, this is the same writer, Paul, who just er, slightly earlier in the Newer Testament wrote Romans, where he sounded a bit like a lawyer making his arguments. Very logical, very clear flow. Um, established his statements, almost cross-examined those who weren't with him. Here he sounds somewhere between a father and a grandfather. And so he says, before he tells them, he prays for them. He said, I thank my God for you. It's fun to be here and say that. Thank God for you. Because when we pray for people, we remember them. I told you he sounded like somewhere between a father and a grandfather. 
And he said, I always pray for you with joy. Season, interesting for me in this season of life. I mean, I've, I have uh, traveled far more than 100,000 miles every year since I can remember. And uh, fortunately, the airlines treat you nice if you've done that with them. But these days, not traveling. And so I have spent the last 18 months or so on every Saturday night and every Sunday morning when I couldn't go anyplace, have connections with people around the world, and I literally pray around the world. Uh, Sundays have been my most, um, been my busiest day. There have, my record is 17 hours on Zoom on Sunday. Eight countries. Yeah, while you all were enjoying it, I was praying with joy around the world and listening to people. Useful for them, but this is the approach. Prayers that make a difference. Notice he talks about the partnership, and we'll touch on that later. And then he reminds them, God hasn't abandoned you at all. The things he started with you, he's going to make them happen. Hang on. Stick with them. Let's talk about the partnership. When Paul references this, there's two parts of the partnership. One of the parts of the partnership is they've just been together for a long time. And so that's, it's one of the great things about going back as someone like me to places where you've been before. I would much rather go back to places where I've been and hear the stories, listen to the narrative, see the life change, get updates on what's going on instead of always going to new places. That's one part of the partnership. Here's the other part of the partnership. Paul, as he begins to talk to them about prayer, is saying, you've got to figure out the part you're responsible for and the part God's responsible for. In my travels, I have discovered it may be the greatest confusion of faith. Now, it's not, it's not the greatest annoyance of faith. What annoys most of us is God's perspective on time. Because he just feels under no obligation to accommodate you and what you want in the time frames you want them. Uh, I thought that might get more of a response than that. There you go. But we know. But the confusion is, what part are you responsible for and what part's God responsible for? Now, I'm actually speaking on prayer today, so I'm not cynical about prayer in any way. But when I listen to prayers, sometimes I have to hold it in because I listen to prayers, and everything in me wants to go, God's not going to answer that one. No, that just sounds mean, but it's not. I'm the nicest guy I know. It's not, it's not mean. It's you're asking God to do stuff, and he's being silent because it's your responsibility. Take care of it. On the other side, we watch each other, and we're, we're rustling through. We're trying to push or press through, and some of your, one of the words that's a favorite for some of you, you're struggling And one of the kindest things we can do is just come alongside somebody, slip our arm around their shoulder and maybe squeeze just a little and go, you're not going to get there. This is when you have to give to him and trust him. You can't do this one on your own. That's the partnership Paul's talking about. It's God's Holy Spirit and your human spirit. Bam, together. It's the partnership. And so the prayers that make a difference... You've understood that partnership. Look at the next part of this for emotional tone. I told you he sounds like somewhere between a father and a grandfather. Listen. 
He says, it's right for me to feel this way about you, since I have you in my heart. What a great phrase. I have you in my heart. Whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. He said, God can testify, great phrase, how I long for you with all the affection of Christ. It's one of the great things I'm discovering, there's not that many of them, but one of the great things about getting older is you have this sense of God's profound protection, love, depth of his care. And you can say to someone, I know it doesn't seem this way to you right now, but I can promise you, I can promise you, I've been to hell and back a number of times. He will be with you. And as I say those words, representing the Father, these make sense to me. I get a picture of God. He has you in his heart. He loves you with all the affection of Christ. That's the backdrop to this passage. Now, here's one of the things I want you all to relax. There are no, there are no clear directives. There's no, here's your five ways to pray. None of that today. This is a reflective one to settle in and go, what would it be like? What would it be like? I love that. What would it be like if we understood the prayers that make a difference? Who prays them? How we receive them? And the profound impact they make. It sounds like this. I told you these aren't hard to find. Ephesians 1, Philippians 1, Colossians 1 all have the same. Um, as you read your Bible, there's usually an indentation here because it's beginning of a paragraph. And he literally says, yeah, this is how I pray for you. I told you you can't miss it. You don't need to know original languages. Uh, you don't need to have a deep, profound looking. It's just there. It's almost as if it shouts to you. This is how I pray for you. That your love will abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. You may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through him to the glory and the praise of God. This is my prayer for you. I want to give you an approach more than a model. Very often when we teach on prayer in some places, it seems like it's a bit transactional. If you'll do this, God will respond well. You should adjust this. So that way your prayers can be answered. No, 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 no. These aren't transactional. This is the heart of the Father, remember? I want you to draw near. He'll make it so clear you can't miss it. Unless, unless there's something in the way, and we'll identify those as we go. So let's start with love. Come on, if you, if you uh, he says, I want your love to abound more and more. I want it to grow, develop, expand. Sometimes, when you're going through some of life's tougher moments, you don't want to be reminded that so much of this is about love. But let's just go across the segments of all of uh, Holy Scripture. Starts in the law where God says, come on, here's the commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. We get to the Newer Testament, and here is Jesus, profound teacher. And they said, what's the greatest of the commandments? He had a lot to pick from. He goes to this one. Come on. 
Love God with all your heart, all the depths of your soul. Make it clear in your mind and with your strength. Do this. And by the way, the people around you, love them like you love yourself. It continues on. You know, in the Gospels, Jesus said, they'll know you're my followers because of your great love for one another. Come on, right in the middle of Corinthians. Gets a whole chapter on love. And then, of course, the oldest of the living apostles, John. What was John's line? Ah, my little children, love one another. It's the theme. It's the theme. I, I, I love talking about this. I love talking about love. Long before my friend and colleague, Rob Reamer, uh, actually wrote Soul Care and other things, people used to tell me, I talked more about the soul than anybody else. And I said, of course. With this voice, I'm the soul man. <laughs> Which I like so much better than talking about love and go, I'm the love doctor. <laughs> Do not want to be the love doctor. Soul man, I'll take it. Love doctor, not at all. Not at all. It is about love. It's profound. It's so significant. But it has to be assumed felt, assimilated, and then, as you know, passed on so well. In this era, I have to talk about the distractions, though, because a number of you know this. Knowing it, living it out on Wednesday, two very different things. And one of the things that's a distraction is um, all of what we now know as social media. Uh, Doing what I do, I have heard from a couple of hundred pastors who said, I, I think once pan, we're past pandemic, I'm not sure I'm going to continue. Um, it's, just, it's just too hard. A couple of weeks ago, I interviewed a pastor who said, Martin, I get 2,000 emails a week, and not one of them positive. Now, when he became pastor, mentored the guy when he became pastor, the church had been 65 for a long time, like a couple hundred years. They're now over 1,500, four campuses. It, it's a good place. I like it there. But his people are caught in a negative cycle. And it appears to be online stuff. This is, I'm just saying, if this is significant for you, pay attention. I discovered a long time ago in preaching, both when I was a local church pastor, and then uh, when I transitioned into classroom and other stuff, people would say, sometimes it feels like you're preaching at me. Look, I'm too smart to do that. It's It's not an approach that works. So don't take it personally, unless, of course, you should. And then take it very personally, very personally. I will remind you of that. As you go through these, there are some things it's kind of significant to take personally. Only if it applies. Start with love, please. But notice, in these these passages on prayers, there's always an outcome and always a next step. Not a next step for you to take. It's There's a so that. In this passage, it's, Uh, There's a clear so that, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Okay, what's that look like for me? Well, when you 
we, it's time to expand our thinking, our reflection, our ability to see what God sees. When we look at um, these passages, often uh, they're very parallel in these three letters. They mention love often, power, wisdom, discernment, insight. There's a theme that runs through nearly all of them. This, when he talks about knowledge, this is not Bible knowledge. We like that. However, Bible knowledge doesn't always translate for you into actual wisdom. And so he says, let's cross over. Remember a long time ago, I found a talented young chap. He was traveling all over Australia and met him there. And at the end of our uh, some time together, he said, Martin, I want you to pray for me. I want to become a man of great knowledge. Smart chap, he was. He was probably more of a lad than, than a chap, but he was a smart lad. And I said to him, are you sure you want me to pray for this? Because it'll happen. Do you want to become a, a man of knowledge? And I said, what if I pray you become a man of wisdom? He goes, ooh, I like that. I said, it carries a lot more responsibility, though. A lot more responsibility. Here's what I've discovered. I began uh, talking about this a long time ago. I was one of those people who couldn't wait till I turned 50. Because I felt like I had a lot to say to men, but I was just too young to say it. And then when I hit 50, I went, yes. Um, I, I, I get to say stuff. So I started doing groups of men, larger groups, conferences, etc. And here's what I said. Typically in realms of faith, like church, we, we have a significant number of aging women who are just absolutely women of wisdom. Unfortunately, sometimes we reduce y'all to being prayer warriors. And I'm going, you're that, but you're so much more. But I said to guys, what the church needs, what the next generation needs, is men of wisdom. Sometimes what we get are men with opinions. Now, remind me, I said, how, many, how long has it been since someone came to you and called you by name or said, Dad, give me all your opinions about my life. When was the last time? Yes, never. It's not going to happen. If so, they'll probably be checked in to a hospital soon. Um, so let's get one thing clear. Our opinions don't matter nearly as much as we think. Ah, but wisdom. Now you're on to something. Now you're actually on to something. So let's expand this capacity. I, I have uh, the, the word here is mentioned on discernment. I'm always nervous when people say they have discernment. Um, because often in Scripture, it's a corporate thing far more than it's an individual thing. It's been put on me. Um, I'm often asked, I think it was three times this week, I was asked, Martin, you've got this kind of unique thing. You have what seems like kind of a prophetic insight and voice. Your stage of life and all you've done, you seem to have good wisdom, at least. And then there's other times when it feels like you just kind of stumble into this and there's this sort of profound word comes. Sometimes you're actually almost making fun of people and then this thing pops up. What, 
which comes first? I, I'm trying to learn this, and I go, if you figure that out, let me know, because I have no idea. If I can talk about just very directly about discernment, it's just this simple, that you see what he sees. When you have discernment, you see what he sees. But also, it's why we took time to go over this passage, with the heart of the Father. Not shock value. Not corrective with people. May have to be, but it's not your job nor your tone. It's the heart of the Father. It's why we start with love. Always start with love. And you will see his thoughts hear his thoughts, see what he sees, and you will pass it on. We, we could spend an entire uh, seminar on this, but we're not going to. Why is this not advancing? Is, it, is this a Canadian clicker? Ah, there we go. Canadian clicker, so I just move a little more slowly. Like, Never mind, we're going to keep going. Not everything you want to know about what God has for you is here. Or if it is, you don't know how to pick it up. That's why we do things together. It's corporate discernment, corporate wisdom. It is a great guideline for things that people think, I should do this. You go, have you read this? No, 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 no. So his word is amazing as in discerning what he has for you. But utilize the senses. Outside of here, you all have had it, of course, you know this. Um, a great part of uh, teaching, living, and passing on prayer stuff. But in other places out there, not nearly as much. And we don't utilize the senses. So often when you're praying, asking, seeking, what do you see? What do you hear? What do you sense? What do you feel? What are you experiencing? It's often one of the ways he directs. And it's just his voice. You know the voice. A few years ago, I was uh, working on how do you give feedback to the next generation? And uh, I thought, there's not one way to do this. I'm, I'm pretty good with guys. Most guys know either this is how they like it or this is what's good for them. But I've always been committed to developing women as leaders as long as I've been at this. And so I said, I, I'm not sure how do you communicate direct feedback to younger women that you're trying to develop as leaders? So I had a younger team, so I sent them out and said, I, I, at least, I need at least 50 women interviewed. Come on, get back to me. We gave them three options. You can have it just given to you directly, direct feedback. The second one is we can write it, so you can read it as often as you want, as many times, and put the voice with it you want. Or we can record it and download this to you. What do you want? We found it interesting that of the, the 50, nearly almost 60 younger women that we questioned, 80% said, I want it recorded. I want to be able to listen to it. And then what we didn't expect is a large percentage, I won't give the percentage, said, and if Martin could record it, it would help. <laughs> and I said, ask them why. Two things. He said, I don't want to say that his voice is like the voice of God, but maybe God's a brother. <laughs> but here was the important one. I never heard it from my dad.
I'd give anything to hear it. Done. Done. Direct feedback. This voice, you can picture the eyes. Direct. Done. It's empowering. It's empowering. Let's wrap this passage up. It's kind of fun. There's a so that here. Once you've discerned, once you've figured out what love looks like in your life and for the, pe- for the people around you, he then says, so that you will be able to discern what is best and that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Oh, this is the fun part for me. Pure and blameless. I began to interview people and ask them questions um, um, more than three decades ago. And here was my favorite question. Are you holy? The most common response was, uh, not as much as I should be. <laughs> I went, obviously, obviously you misunderstand holiness. I go, holiness is sort of like being pregnant. You either are or you're not. You never walk up to a woman who's obviously showing and go, oh, are you pregnant? She never looks down and goes, not as much as I should be. It's utterly ridiculous. So when it comes to this pure, blameless holiness thing, either you are or you're not. And you decide. And the response was, not as much as I should be. I, uh, I kicked into the fatherly, grandfatherly role, even when I was much younger, and I said, do you even want to be? And most often it was more than you can imagine. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do it. Let's just talk this through. It's how he sees you. If your confession's current, if you're not hiding things in the shadows or the darkness, if you're addressing what's standing in front of you, and if the people around you aren't telling you you're a dreadful person, other than on their worst days, then you've got to recognize that and go, I I think I'm on my way to the holy thing, the blameless and purity thing. How do you see you? In earlier days of doing leadership development, I began to ask this question that has now taken on a life of its own. Um, I discovered when I would actually utilize this in in, uh, coaching people, but also in larger services, I, I actually ordered a special made mirror, giant mirror. It would take two really strong people to, to carry it and hold it up. Uh, some places would build a stand for it, and others would just rotate people, and they'd stand and hold it. At the end of a service, I would say, here's the question. You'll either love or hate this question. Why can't you see what we see? Same question, two tones. One's validating and nurturing. What's wrong? I mean, what, why can't you see what we see? It's good. You're this and you're this and you're this. You have this. You, you can accomplish this. You've got this great heart. You, you, you lead with love. You've got this. Why can't you see it? 
Then the other side is same question, different tone. Oh, why can't you see what we see? Spirit's off. Um, the angry thing, you said you're better. I'd hate to see what it was. Why can't you see what we see? So at the end of services, people would just come and look. Some of them would stand there forever. Sometimes they'd invite a friend to stand there with them and go, help me see what I can't see. Sometimes when it was so possible, they would just sit in the front row or kneel. Lots of tears for some people. Why can't you see what we see? You see, this instruction in Philippians 1 isn't you need to be more pure and blameless and holy. None of that. It's when you lead with love, when you have eyes to see, you will be pure and blameless. It's a natural outcome. But it also carries over in how you see others, how you talk about them, how you reference them, how you treat them. It's all a part of pure and blameless. We are a part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. I want a silence, please. Okay, we can go on. Fourfold gospel, Christ our Savior, sanctifier, healer, and coming king. We're not sure always what to do with it, but here's one we do know. Holy. I, I know that not all of you this week have been spending time reading the book of Exodus. I, just, I, I know that about you. Um, and that's okay. But when you get to Exodus 19, it's the beginning of the law, and God says to Moses, Mo? <laughs> Mo, tell the people to be holy, for either the Lord their God am holy. God, when he speaks of himself, represents himself as one of his primary character qualities, his holiness. Now, here's what we know throughout history and across the globe and various religion, world religions. Here's the phrase. Show me the people's lives, and I will show you their gods. You and I represent God in his greatness and in his holiness. So update your view of you. Take care of the stuff that needs to be taken care of. A while back, I created a series of talks that I thought might revolutionize faith as it's known in the world. In my mind, it was true. It was a series on holiness, and I called it, It's Time to Make Holiness Sexy Again. It never caught on. <laughs> never caught on. So I took it personally and said, maybe it's because I look like this. It's not believable. <laughs> maybe that's it. I just don't think people of faith are willing to put holiness and sexy together. I've tried. I gave up on it. No, nobody, nobody wants it, except God. And so for you, 
I don't care how old you are, what's going on, or how you look. What makes something sexy in our world is it's appealing. There's intrigue to it. It's time to make holiness sexy again. I'm done. I'm done with that. Here we go. I want to close in referencing my favorite theologian, John Lennon. Oh, for those of you who are younger, original Beatles. There you go. There you go. John Lennon said this. Imagine. Imagine. I want you to imagine with me as we close today. Imagine what can happen. Imagine if you take this passage and you take the children in this church. I've tracked you forever. You've done well with the children. What if you sort of systematically took on, we're going to pray this stuff into our children daily. It became a systematic prayer focus. You've, uh, you've got some fairly significant people who are somewhere between their mid-teens and into their 20s here. Other churches would kill to have them. What if we talk on to pray this stuff into them daily? I pray for them, over them, into them. Just imagine what could happen. Just imagine. Imagine the lives of the people. Imagine the healings. Imagine the people in the community coming to faith in Christ and having their family's name changed for generations. Imagine. Risen King Church, you are standing on the edge of your future. I don't want to overstate it, but it's a prophetic word. You are. We're coming out of what we have known as pandemic. Who knows what the next rounds are? I've been studying pandemics for more than a decade. Because of the international stuff, we've known something like this would happen somewhere along the line. What will we be on the other side? By the way, when it comes to the plunkets and other things that are going on. God's not nervous. He's in his heavenlies. I, I don't think he can remember when he had a nervous day. So on the human side, embrace this. Embrace this well. Pray it into yourself. Pray it into and over each other. Lead with it. Don't forget love. Recognize that your opinion matters less than you know. Remind each other of that kindly. And then with a whole heart, embrace holiness. The words of this passage, be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. May it be true of you, of Risen King Church, and of your lives. I just want to pray with you for a minute. 30 seconds. Lord, on days like this, we often go, I want this. I want to live like this. I want to be this kind of person. Subtle adjustments. Help us with them but more to not lose sight of you 
May we pray these passages into one another in a way that makes such a difference. Such a difference. It's an honor to be your kids. It's an honor to be together with a group of people like this. By your spirit today, will you commend, commend, risen King Church? Yes. May it be so. May it be so. Amen.